we're turned on. Yep. Okay. Well, it's good to be here tonight and um, certainly nice to be in the house of the Lord. And thanks, Ash, for those songs. They were um, absolutely brilliant. They're very, very prominent with my dad in particular. Uh, the first one, uh, he used to give that out all the time in the morning service. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know, I was raised in the Gospel Halls, uh, Northgate Gospel Hall to be precise. And uh, yeah, Dad was a, a wonderful Christian man. And uh, quite often when I'd see him singing, I'd see the tears just streaming down his face, you know, uh, because he loved the Lord with a passion and what a blessing. Well, uh, I prayed you've got me tonight and uh, <laughs> somebody a little bit different. And. Um, uh, let me just check my uh, watch. I'll make sure that I'm on island time. Uh, does anybody know what island time means? Yeah. Ah, good. Okay. So that's okay. That means that you're all settled in, ready to go. So that's really nice. Uh, well, what we're going to talk about tonight is from the Old Testament. It's actually from Ecclesiastes. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles there, I'd like you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1 to 11. And we're just going to read briefly. Uh, what it says there, and then we'll pray and then get on with what we're actually uh, going to be talking about tonight, um, which is the vanity of self-indulgence, something that we all need to take notice of because, uh, yeah, we certainly do live in a self-indulgent world. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles open there and ready, uh, we'll sing, uh, sorry, not sing, we'll, well, we could sing the verses. Uh, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, Therefore, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this, is also this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see that what, were, that was, sorry, what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the sun all the days of their life. I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, I, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to water therewith, and, and the, the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens, and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of, of, of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and, and the peculiar treasure of kings and the provinces. I got men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour, and this was my portion all of all my labour. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labour that I had laboured to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun." Let's just pray and open the service tonight. Lord, we just want to thank you. And uh, it is a privilege to be in your house tonight, Lord. And Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to open your word and to look at it, Lord. And I pray that as I speak tonight, Lord, the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, will be your words and not my own. I pray, Lord, that you will teach us from your word. I pray that you will open our hearts to what you want to say to us. And I ask, Lord, that you will help me, Lord, to expound upon what your word is saying. I thank you and uh, praise your name for all these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Okay, so uh, you'll see up there that uh, the actual t- um, thing that we've been doing, uh, particularly with the uh, charge keepers over the last, say, I think it was around about, let me just see here, it was, believe it or not, in September 2017 uh, that I actually started a study in the book of Ecclesiastes with the seniors. Now, that study didn't finish until the 8th of October 2021. So we spent something like four years actually going through 12 chapters. Now, there's a good reason for that. Part of it was because, obviously, we only met once a month um, for the senior service, but it was a real joy to go through Ecclesiastes. Now, during the study, we saw how King Solomon, who at the time of writing Ecclesiastes was approximately 65 years old or thereabouts. Um, Now, uh, he was looking back over his life, And that's the basic thrust of what Ecclesiastes is all about, that Solomon's looking back over his life and he's asking the question, what was the meaning of life? Which, of course, is what our heading is actually staying here. Uh, That was lived from the perspective of a life that was lived under the sun, which some of you may or may not know is a life that is actually living outside of God. So any life that is lived out under the sun is a life, according to Ecclesiastes, that is lived outside of God. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to actually have a look at that passage that we looked at, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. But first of all, I want to ask the question, if you've ever spoken to anyone and while talking to them, have you ever thought to yourself, my goodness, this person is so self-indulgent? You ever thought that? You ever been talking to anybody that has a tendency to be like that? Could it not be said that today we live in a, a majorly self-indulgent, self-entitled society? Do we not? It's, it's actually been said that uh, the difference between privilege and entitled is actually gratitude. To be privileged, you you are thankful for what you have. But to feel entitled, it's my right to feel what I want, and so on. And with that in mind, uh, we're going to run through a a few little slides, and I just want to share those with you. It's, uh, as, as I said, after all, what's the main message that consumer advertising tells you today? Now, this thing is on, so let's see if we can move through to the first slide. It's all about me. Whoops, can we just put that? Thank you very much. Okay, so as you can see, you've got a little man standing on the earth there and he's saying, oh, it's all about me. Is that the way that the world thinks? Yep, certainly is. Or, for example, you've probably seen something... Oh, hang on, I went the wrong way. Go the other way. You've probably seen something like this. You are number one. Anybody seen that? Or, for example, if you go to McDonald's, you might see them say... Uh, you deserve a Mega Mac, okay? Put up your hand if you've been shopping and said to yourself, I deserve this. Anybody ever been shopping and said, I deserve this? Yep. Hey, I've been there, especially when I've been going shopping for fishing gear (laughs) and so on. I deserved that uh, that squid lure that I bought (laughs) is, is what I'm trying to say. Many people today, when reaching retirement and deciding to go on a world cruise, might say to themselves, well, I've worked hard for this all my life. I've paid my taxes. I've retired. It's all about me and what I want and what I deserve this. True? Or, as some would say, let's spend the kids' inheritance. 
It's ours anyway. We worked for it. We earned it. So let's spend it. Don't worry about what the kids are going to do later. We'll just spend their inheritance. Mm. So let's ask the question, what does the term self-indulgent mean? The Oxford Dictionary describes self-indulgent as an adjective. It, it's, and its meaning is characterised by doing or tending to do exactly what, wants, what one wants, especially when this involves pleasure or idleness. It's from this word we get the word self-indulgence, which means excessive or unrestrained gratification of one's own appetites, desires or whims. Let's move on to the next slide. Who's ever heard the phrase, I love me? Who's ever heard the phrase, I love me? Who do you love? Anybody? It does happen. So where do we see this in Scripture? The passage, of course, that I was, I was trying to think, what passage really is suitable, is, suits this particular uh, thought? And I thought immediately of Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. If you want to, you can turn to that. But what we're going to... I'm just going to read a section of that, those verses, uh, verses 18 and 19, and uh, just have a listen. And, he's, and he said, This will I do. I will roots and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then whose shall these things be, which thou hast provided? Can it not be said of this man that he lived a self-indulgent lifestyle, and that his intention after retirement was to live a more self-indulgent lifestyle? Would we all agree? Hmm, interesting. What was God's response to the man? God simply said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? All this man's trust had been placed in his riches and all that he had accomplished throughout life. And the problem was he gave no thought to God or eternity. So what relevance does the parable of the rich fool have to do with Solomon? Is in say, in, 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 with what Solomon's saying in, in Ecclesiastes 2 verses 1 to 11. Let's look, uh, let's just take a look and, and what better place to start, of course, is verse, in, than verse 1. Solomon says in verse 1, he says, I said in my heart to go now, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure and behold, this also is vanity. Here in chapter 2, we see the fruits of Solomon chasing after all that is under the sun through wisdom, experience and knowledge. He concludes that this, on, this only added to his difficulties and brought sorrow. He starts now to consider here what are the benefits of, of any, of, uh, if any, of a self-indulgent life. What are Solomon's first words? He said, I said in my heart. So we can see Solomon speaking to himself here. The word said in Hebrew is the word omar. And it means avouch, consider, declare, demand, desire or determine. And when, where, where does he do this? He does it in his heart. The Hebrew word for the word heart is, in, in the verse, means the feelings, the will, even the intellect or the understanding, the centre of everything. 
So we can say simply that Solomon is declaring he's desired or determined in his feelings, his will, his intellect, and his literally the center of his being that he would what? That he would go to now. In other words, he would walk, behave, or continually be conversant with. In fact, he says, I will prove thee, meaning I will test, attempt, or try. But what is he saying? What, 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 uh, but what is it that he says he will prove or test? Solomon simply uses the word thee. By this, he is referring to his own heart and his heart's desire to find satisfaction and meaning in life under the sun. He first sought it in knowledge and wisdom in chapter 1, but the end result was only difficulties and grief. He now turns to two different sources to find fulfilment in life. He turns to mirth and he turns to pleasure. The word mirth referred to here in Hebrew is the word simkor and it means to be gleeful, exceedingly glad or from its root word to make merry or rejoicing. Pleasure equals good things, that which is beautiful, best, better, bountiful or cheerful. Interesting to note what Warren Wiersbe says here. He says the, the Hebrew people rightly believed that God made man to enjoy the blessings of his creation. Solomon decided and had the resources, would we all agree, uh, to live, to enjoy and unrestrained, unrestrained all that life under the sun had to offer through mirth and pleasure. Would we all agree with that? But what was his final judgment of this test or experiment. It can be summed up in four words. This is also, sorry, I forgot the word also. This also is vanity. Simply put, when there is totally unrestrained enjoyment of pleasures of this life, the end result is still emptiness, a void that cannot be filled, uh, and it can't be filled with the pleasures of this world at all. So let's have a look at the next slide. The, this type of lifestyle actually leads to a cycle. And it's interesting when you actually look at this cycle and start to study it, uh, which people find it difficult to break out of. It's this one here. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Chart. Now, if you have a look at the bottom, basically on the left-hand side, it says, first of all, people get distracted by things. They then get tempted by things. They then become desperate and say, I need this. And then, of course, that leads to stimulation. And of course, that then leads to what they think is pleasure. But then it quickly turns the other way and they become satiated. And then they become guilty because they've amassed themselves heaps and heaps of things. And they think, oh, gee, should have I actually spent all that money? Should have I done this? Should have I done that? They then become empty and then they fill themselves with despair. They then, after that, they then become bored because these things have no real value to them anymore. And so it just starts keep going round and round again. And so they find themselves, when they're looking at things of the world, that it's very difficult to break out of this cycle. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 2 said, I said of laughter, it is mad and of mirth, what doeth it? Solomon is here adding to his conclusion regarding the pursuit of mirth and pleasure. Excessive mirth or amusement cannot quiet, cannot quiet a guilty conscience or ease a sorrowful spirit. 
It will not satisfy one's soul, nor will it bring true contentment. I'm reminded here of Robin Williams. Who remembers Robin Williams? Hmm. Who, by the world standard, was a successful movie star, a comedian who applied his trade to all that he did. However, what was on the surface did not show the tormented soul that he had uh, to the point where he eventually took his life. Everybody remember that, that moment that we heard in the news, Robin Williams took his own life. Even with all his so-called comedy and entertainment and the pleasurable lifestyle that the world would have, uh, would have us believe that he had, he was still empty and he was void inside his heart. Solomon here asked the question of laughter and mirth. What doeth it? In other words, when one does these things to excess, what does it accomplish and what is advanced by it? What does it fulfill or procure or provide? Solomon now says in 2 verse 3, he says, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainted mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly till I might see that, uh, what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. In this great experiment, Solomon, Solomon's, uh, of Solomon's, he mentions here that he indulged in two sources of pleasure to see what was good for the sons of men under the heaven all the days of his life. You can imagine what it must have been like to see the king in his splendid banqueting hall. Could you imagine what it must have been like back, uh, back then to walk into Solomon's palace and to see him sitting at the banqueting hall. It says in 1 Kings verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 21, where uh, it says, all, And all the king's, uh, King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. It was nothing accounted for in the days of Solomon. It then goes on in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 22, and says, And Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour, three score measures of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 oxen out of the pastures, and 100 sheep beside hearts and roebucks and fallow deer, and on top of that, fatted fowl. Hmm, that's a pretty good dinner table, would we all agree? Who here has ever been to a buffet restaurant? I'll just share with you. Julie and I had the privilege when we were in the States in 2015 to uh, drop into the Luxor Hotel, which is actually in Las Vegas. No, we did not go down there for the gambling, trust me, uh, in any way, shape or form. But we did have a, a buffet dinner there. And when I walked into that buffet, I could not believe what I was seeing. I mean, we're talking a room that was probably bigger than our church auditorium here, and there was every imaginable food that you could think of from around the world. I mean, and that was just the, 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 the savoury dishes. Then there was the desserts. You know, you just could not in any way eat everything that was there. There was so much food, there was so much drink. And then, of course, after that, there's, you know, as we had a bit of a walk around the hotel, uh, we did drop the, drop the odd tract or two here and there. Uh, as well, which we thought might be a good idea. Um, and then there's the entertainment, the pokies, the roulette wheels, the blackjack tables and much more. We certainly didn't have any, uh, take advantage of those in any way, shape or form. But uh, they were there. And uh, I think if I remember right, we actually dropped, dropped a couple of tracks in, in the um, games room, didn't we? 
Mind you, we, we walked away very quickly, <laughs> just in case the security guards were coming. But uh, today, just as Solomon sought with wisdom in his heart to give himself wine and lay hold on folly or the pastures, the pleasures of life, millions of people all over the world today will pay any amount of money to buy experiences and temporarily escape the burdens of life. Some examples of this is uh, the, a person who drinks to excess. The, the less enjoyment they get out of it. Consequently, they must have more and stronger drink to have the same pleasure. The sad result is desire without satisfaction. Instead of alcohol, you can substitute anything that you want. You can substitute drugs, you can substitute gambling, you can substitute money, fame, TV, travel, or possessions, and the principle will hold true. Exactly the same. When pleasure alone is the centre of your life, the result ultimately will be disappointment and emptiness. What we need to understand here is that there is, major, there is a major difference between shallow entertainment and true enjoyment. True enjoyment involves the whole person because with true enjoyment, the person is also enriched. Shallow entertainment is only temporary. True pleasure, however, not only brings delight, it also brings, uh, builds character by enriching the total person. Within, uh, uh, when we were actually doing this study, we then looked at uh, verses 4 through to 11. And uh, the, the topic of the, the heading here I've got is employment. We now come to the verses in the chapter where Solomon describes all the work and achievements that he attained during his life. He had his, spirit, his architectural achievements, his horticultural achievements, his amassing of immense numbers of servants and maidservants. All this to point where he could say in verse 9 and 10, so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. And then in verse 11, he declares, after looking back over all that he had done and achieved, then I looked on all the works that, I, that my hands had wrought and on the labour that I had laboured to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. Now, the simple meaning of the term vanity is just mere emptiness. It's, it's nothingness. It's emptiness. And, and vexation of spirit means you can never be satisfied. You continuously want more. So let's unpack verses 4 and 11. I won't take too much time here. Verse 4 tells us, as he, as he built houses, the greatest of which was Solomon's temple, which was built at the beginning of his reign, after this, he, his building projects extended to houses and cities, whose cities, uh, whole cities were built to actually house his chariots, his horses, his horsemen, and all that he desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon. Verses uh, 4 and 5 show that he also set to his mind to horticulture. It tells us there that he planted vineyards, he made gardens, he, and he had orchards, he planted all manner of fruit trees in them. These would have no doubt supplied him and his royal court all they needed in the way of fruit, vegetables and wine. In verse 6, we see he also designed and built great reservoirs of water and canal systems uh, to actually make sure that he had enough water for the trees and, and so on. This was all done at enormous expense. It is said that Solomon's wealth was far greater than any of the richest people in the world today. It's never, ever been topped. 
by anyone who, not even the Arab sheiks, can top the wealth of Solomon. Incredible. To do all this work, Solomon needed a monumental task of people as well. For example, he had 30,000 Jewish men who were drafted to work on various projects. And this, the people resented, if we go to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. Verse 7 also tells us there were servants born in his house. These would have been children born to those servants which he actually bought. Not only did Solomon take great delight in his building projects, his horticulture and water projects and obtaining servants to work on these projects, verse 7 also tells us that he delighted in agriculture as well. It says that it tells us that he had great possessions which included great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before him. As a result of God's blessing in all of Solomon's, uh, King Solomon's projects and, and business dealings, he accumulated, accumulated to himself vast amounts of silver and gold. And in addition to this, the neighbouring kings and princes from far and wide sent him the richest presents they had to obtain his favour and his wisdom. An example can be seen in what the Queen of Sheba brought to Solomon. 1 Kings 10.10 actually tells us, And she gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. Wow. Verse 9, what's interesting about this verse is, uh, is Solomon is declaring here that his greatness and his increase were more than all before him in Jerusalem. So every, it was more than every other king had ever, that had ever reigned on the throne in Jerusalem. Yet up to this point, his wisdom had remained with him. All, of, all that he did did not cause him to think irrationally and make foolish decisions. A vast contrast to what we often read about in the world today in the news, how when someone may win or inherit a vast sum of money, it happens that when they do that, it would appear that it takes no time at all for that money to be gone. How many times have we heard of somebody winning, say, I don't know, $20 million in the lotto, and then without, within a space of a couple of years, all that money is gone? Hmm. Solomon did not become a slave to his pleasures, but through his wisdom, he kept himself capable of making judge, a judgment on them, of them. And verse 10 then goes on to say, Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour, and this was my portion of all my labour. What this verse tells us is Solomon sought to experience and understand all things in life. And for a season, he did this through pursuing all pleasures under the sun, whether it was from mirth, entertainment, food, wine, achievements, work, music, or the arts. Whatsoever Solomon's eyes desired, he kept not from it. He rejoiced literally in it all. All this he did, however, with a full exercise of wisdom. Solomon now says in verse 11, though, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labour that I had laboured to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. It's here we see Solomon looking back over his life as a 65-year-old man and all his achievements. He had amassed massive, massive wealth. 
His great, uh, he had great buildings. His horticultural and agricultural efforts, which include the beautiful gardens, vineyards, the small and great cattle he had amassed. And of course, he also had kings and queens literally beating a path to his door with gifts of gold, silver, precious stones, uh, spices, etc., just to get a glimmer of his wisdom. Indeed. He looks back over all this and describes it all as vanity and vexation of spirit with no profit whatsoever under the sun. So I guess we need to ask the question in conclusion, what must we conclude from this? Now, don't get me wrong, please. Solomon in no way was condemning work in and of itself. There is nothing wrong with work because work is a blessing from God. Work is how we earn the money that we need to keep our you know, fridges full and pantries full and, and things like that. Look at Adam, for example, in the Garden of Eden. Before he sinned, God had given him the instruction that he was to work, it, work in it and be, what, it is, what does it say? A good steward of it. He was told to work in the garden. The truth is, though, neither work alone nor pleasure can satisfy the human heart no matter how successful or pleasurable either may be. People say that they find pleasure in their work, and that may be true, but it can't satisfy the deep longings of the heart. It's impossible. And this brings me back to my point earlier when I was talking about Robin Williams, a man who appeared literally to have it all. Would we all agree that on the surface Robin Williams had it all, according to the ways of the world? And yet, this same man, because of the torment of his soul, committed suicide. One must then ask the question, why? Why is it that people who reach the zenith of their career and have great possessions, fame and fortune, feel inside that there is nothing to live for? The answer is exactly what Solomon says in verse 11 of chapter 2. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. Because remember, he's talking about a life that is lived under the sun, which is a life that is lived outside of God. Let's make that very clear. Nothing, not fame, nor fortune, or accomplishment can change a sensation of feeling alone, unfulfilled, unhappy, or that there is something else. This whole... This hole that people have inside of them can only be filled by recognising our absolute spiritual state of poverty, even though we may have all that this world can give. You can have a Ferrari in your driveway. You can have a seven-bedroom, seven-bathroom house, but you may still be, you would still be feeling unfulfilled. Nothing can fill that void that is in the person's heart. Without Christ Jesus, we are nothing but a spiritually poverty-stricken beggar standing in need of a holy and righteous God. And if you want a reference for that, just go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, because that's where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor doesn't mean financially troubled. The poor there means a person who is like a beggar before a holy and righteous God. We are in need of God. Solomon tested life and his heart said vanity, that's emptiness. 
And then we have to remember the parable of the rich fool. These are the sort of things that we need to ponder as Christians. We need to remember that just the same as the world, we can be caught up in this whole idea of self-indulgence. What we have to keep coming back to is remembering that there's a big difference between privileged and entitled. And the difference is gratitude. The gratitude we need to have is the gratitude towards our Heavenly Father, who, as James points out, gives us all good things. And we need to be satisfied with those good things that he gives us. So, something to ponder on over the next week. I hope it wasn't too um, deep or, uh, or hitting, you know, uh, but, you know, as I was going through this, I just felt that the Lord was telling me that this is what he wanted me to say tonight. Uh, because, yeah, Christians, we can, we can get just as self-indulgent. We can walk into a shop and we can say, oh, I need that. You know, when we probably don't. Okay. Well, that's, that's what, all I wanted to say there tonight. But what I might do now is we'll